One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good lad. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Hello everybody, welcome to the Second Captain's Podcast. I do hope you have been able to squeeze a little bit of non-World Cup related sport into your hectic viewing schedule over the weekend. It's not easy, even as I speak to you now, I'm getting distracted by a package Damien Duff appears to be doing on the dangers posed by the Swedish attacking duo of Marcus Berg and Emil Forsberg in their upcoming game against South Korea. It could be Michael O'Neill or Louise Quinn doing the package, Murph, I don't know, I've got the sound down. And that's the way it's going to stay throughout this podcast. Well, thank you for your... Undying commitment to the following hour of uh, <laughs> podcasting goes. Well done. Well, if a particularly spectacular goal goes in, I might have to just ratchet it up there no. for a moment, but I'm sure. You're, you're doing the right thing on. It's been a pretty decent tournament so far. 2018 World Cup in Russia will be up to the highest standard. Soccer is popular. From bottom of my heart, thank you. Uh, I got locked in a toilet. Get your eagles there. Let the eagle create a bit of a scary atmosphere. Well, there's now a door handle on my side of the door. Whoever is coming to face the eagles, we know these eagles will just pick the point and just fly away with it. So I started beating up the door, but nobody came. The next people that I saw were engaged in a pretty hectic street brawl, which was somewhat terrifying. He was chasing after other guys screaming a Russian word, Suka. One of them kicked him very hard in the belly. Ah, oh, I love the Portuguese commentary of Ronaldo free kick almost as much as I love Ken's account of the belly kicking episode that he witnessed on the streets of Moscow. The other voice you heard there was Oluwashina Akaleje, our friend from Nigeria. Unfortunately, the Super Eagles did not scare Croatia. No. Their opening opponents. No, <laughs> Despite the lyricism and the imagery, the evocative imagery of Oluwashina's answers when we spoke to him yeah. that did not translate onto the field for his countrymen, they were quite badly beaten. But they can take care of they Iceland. Were, and and I was so mad up for Nigeria as well, all on the back of Oluwashina. Mm. 
Oh, well. I send an Argentina to follow Murph. I'm sure they can take care of those boys. This is the kind of stuff that you're getting every day for just a fiver a month if you're part of the World Service. For you Monday-only listeners, now could be the time, surely is the time, to join the party. Secondcaptains.com, you can sign up now for daily World Cup podcasts. How many days in are we? Is this day five? Uh, yeah. There's, 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 Friday, Saturday, Sunday, there's so many yeah. more days. I know. So many more weeks. It's going to be absolutely incredible. So what has been happening outside of Russia? I suppose Ireland's hopes of a series win in Australia Alive and well, that's a bit of a headline after a brilliant win in the second test. Lots of chat to Shane Horgan about with regards to that win. It was really impressive stuff. Um, should have won by a lot more, in fact. And Murph Galway are Connacht champions once again. That means they're the first team through the Super 8s later on in the summer. Yeah, yeah. They found a way to win, I suppose. Uh, Owen is a good way of describing it. Uh, they won in the end by four points. But they were a point. They were still level with about six minutes to go. Uh, so, yeah, they found a way to win. Just what that way was appears to, be in, appears to be the cause of some rather fevered debate, judging by the television coverage and the evidence in front of my eyes. Didn't see the... I was double screening, so I saw the match, but did not see the post-match. Oh. I'm, I'm going to guess the shackles coming off, which is a phrase I f- slipped into last week. Yeah. Was that a phrase that was used, shackles Well, off? I'll tell you what happened with the post. It was just one of those things that happened when you broadcast a lot of live sporting events. Sometimes... A spanner gets thrown in the works. Mm-hmm. On this occasion, the spanner in question <laughs> was named. <laughs> the spanner in question was a unnamed Connacht Council official, yeah. president, chairman, who knows, yeah. who rabbited on, on and on and on and on and on for, I don't know, about four minutes. Or he had made the decision to go live to the trophy presentation. They felt they couldn't back out of the live trophy presentation. In the end, they should have backed out of the live trophy presentation because he went on and on and on to the extent that he they handed the trophy over to Goldway's captain, Damien Comer, and then cut away. So all we heard was the, <laughs> the prelude to the captain's speech, not the actual captain's speech, which left, I'd say, maybe one 20-second ans- one answer apiece right. from the three gentlemen gathered to give us our post. What a boy you are. So how, are they, so how do they get managed to get any controversial into... 60 seconds because they all said basically the shackles came off oh, okay they did oh. say the shackles yeah. yeah without using the, the, the phrase yeah. Okay. yeah well I think maybe they did use the phrase as well to be honest but we're not entirely sure myself Oshin, Mike Quirk and yourself will get to the bottom well, of that well let's bring the guys in Oshin, how are you all in his form that's good yeah Mike Quirk is on the line Mike you're keeping well really good yeah, first things first Oshin. the big question everyone wants to know how does it feel to finally give up your crown as the world's leading dead ball specialist to Cristiano Ronaldo do you pass the, <laughs> pass the crown with good grace I actually didn't see that coming um, Lionel Messi let me and the wee man down big time on Saturday because uh, we, we we'd gone out uh, shopping for jerseys and yeah. I talked him out of a Brazil jersey into, an, into, yeah, into oh. an Argentina one oh. no you didn't do your homework there <sighs> You know, listen, I know you're on top of the Gaelic Games action mm-hmm. over the summertime. You can't be expected to also <laughs> be on top of who's going well and not so well in World Cup friendlies. But, yeah, Brazil are a better bet than Argentina, my friend. Shane Walsh, on the subject of freeze, kicked three from... No, was it three from play? Five, from, five frees with his left foot. Yeah. Three from play with his right foot. Yeah. How bizarre is that? He, he's apparently left-footed. No, he's no, right-footed. right-footed. Murph, I leave this to you. Yeah. He's right-footed, yeah. taking freeze off the ground with his supposed weaker foot left, his left foot. Well, the only other person I know that did it with any great success was Morris Fitz. I remember him uh, way back. I think they played me in an All-Ireland semi-final or final. 
and he kicked one from under the old Hogan stand with his left foot on the 14-yard lane, right out in the side lane it was with the his Mayo left foot. It was the final in 97 against Mayo, I think. Okay. Well, he did that as, he did that as well. In <laughs> he could have done it in more than one game, but... But uh, I remember looking at that and saying, I'd love to do that someday. I'd love to be able to do that. But um, it's it's an amazing skill. Um, it's an amazing skill to have. Um, and with the ease and the uh, the concentration that, that it takes, you know, to pull that off is, that, yeah, is unbelievable. That's an interesting point, right? Because I was kind of thinking, what possible advantage could there be to taking freeze off the ground with your weaker foot? Mm-hmm. I think... Is there like a, an element of concentration with every single part of the of the technique that actually it narrow, narrows the focus of your mind even more to striking the ball purely when you ha- have to think this is my weaker foot, therefore I can't presume anything yeah. as a result of my hitting t- the I'm ball. Taking nothing suit. for granted. Yeah, but like do I, you do you know any free takers? Have you ever uh, seen any free takers who who take that free kick, which is really really difficult, right? And they pop it over the bar, uh, black spot, middle of the goals, from an impossible angle. You take them in, thirty-five yards in front of the goals, and it's liable to go. It's liable to go wide. And the yeah. reason for that is concentration, because you put more into that than you do into that. So, the thing about I think we might have talked about this before, but the thing about practicing free kicks, right? So if I'm practicing free kicks, I give I will give somebody ten free kicks, or uh, back in the day, I would have took ten free kicks myself from certain areas, okay? And I would have made sure that number nine was the same as number one, that the concentration... And one of these free kicks is 14 yards straight in front of the goals. Ten free, That's part of the 10. You would be amazed at how many people miss that, especially young lads who are maybe doing that drill for the first time. And the reason for that is it's just pure concentration because they, they use a completely different technique to kick that one than they do to kick the really tough one. You watch the concentration, you watch the strike, you watch the way they watch the ball, you watch everything, and yet you take them in, as I say, 21 yards or 14 yards in front of the goals and they'll just say, ah, well, I'm going to score this anyway. You know? Yeah, so, I still think it's bizarre to add a layer of complexity unnecessarily. If you're right-footed, take the free with your right foot and concentrate. No, no, no. But like, to, for him to take the the freeze he took yesterday with his left foot, bar one, makes the kick a lot more difficult because it narrows down the goals, you know, completely. Whereas if he's striking and he's hitting for the outside of the post, it gives he's, he's opening up the margin yeah. for error big time, you know. So um, that's pr- that's probably why and. Taking it off the ground is a more correct science than it would be out of the hands. There's, there's less, obviously, there's less moving parts. Mike, what did you make of Galway's performance as a whole? They obviously made hard work of it. Yeah, they did. But, you know, they probably they probably got what they wanted out of it. I mean, they obviously set up as they have been setting up all year. And, I mean, while, while there was obviously kind of, you know, mistakes made or whatever way you want to put it in the first half, they still only conceded six scores. I know they were playing against, or with the win, sorry, but they still only conceded six scores. And you take that in 35 to nearly 40 minutes of football all day. And, you know, if you think about it, like, I mean, they were beaten by Roscommon last year in the same game. They were away from home. Um, I know they played Division One, and, and and they were they were just, I think they just took the sting out of them. I think they, they, they defended pretty well. And not as well as they would like, obviously, moving forward. Not that it'll be good enough against uh, possibly Kerry or Cork in, in the next round. 
But just in the second half, they just ground them down. And, and the big thing for me was just the platform that they had around the middle of the field. They had it all day, really. But in the second half, they really just you know, got a massive stranglehold with Tom Flynn around the middle of the field. And, and every ball they got, they seemed to just punish or, or at least get a chance from. And, and that was the difference ultimately in the game that, that Roscommon just lost out in that department. Yeah, Mike, I'll pick up on one of the things you said there defensively that Galway did have to change it up a little bit in the second half to to discommode Roscommon more than they had done in the first half. And really, that was a case of Roscommon got all of their best ball players on the ball outside of the Galway's sort of screen defence. So they were giving the ball to Enda Smith uh, and Donny Smith and these guys 55 yards out from the Galway goal. And Galway were happy enough to just let them have it. And if you have footballers as good as those guys, then they will pick a couple of passes and you'll get a few scores. In the second half, Galway pushed up beyond the 50-yard line, went man-to-man more so with with those guys, with those three guys, two or three guys that were on the ball loads in the first half. And Ross Cameron just weren't good enough from there to win the game once those guys were were put under pressure. But, but Marv, no, so... Do you do you no? I I don't know what Kevin Welsh told him before the game, but do you think that it, it was in the game plan to to not man mark those two or three guys that you mentioned? I mean, I I would have I would have imagined like looking looking at the way they played yesterday. I don't think there was any you know when people were saying they they pushed up and they changed everything in the second half. I I don't no. think they changed everything in the second half. I I I think uh, to your point. They put they put serious heat on a couple of the Roscommon key guys that were causing a lot of trouble in the in the first half, but a lot of the rest of the stuff remained the same. Except like you were speaking about free taking a minute ago, in the first half, I don't think there was a Galway defender when he was inside his 45 yard line was actually concentrating or had a clear idea of what he was supposed to be doing, which was really unlike what we've seen all along. And and a case in point was the goal that Kieran Murta got. I mean, he gets a ball, you know, one on one. And he looks up and he sees number eleven Barry McHugh in front of him. Galway centre back mark him in the in the in the left corner back position. And he he says, "I'm going by you." And he goes by him and he goes runs about 25, 30 yards before he bangs the ball into the net. There was no other Galway player even got a hand on him or was hardly even in the frame as he was taking the shot inside in the in the very deepest layer of where their 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 zone is supposed to be strongest. And and like that to me was kind of. That, that was a sign that these guys aren't switched on to what they're supposed to be doing at all. Because if they were, there was going to be somebody that would have their head on a swivel to be able to see exactly where that ball was, see that Marta had a, had a, had a, had a mismatch on the, on the centre forward and was able to get over there and get at least get a tackle or put something in. So, like, the biggest thing I thought was they came out in the second half and they were actually tuned into what they were supposed to be doing and, and, and the pushing up and all that. I'm sure that was supposed to happen in the first half and they were supposed to put heat on these guys. But for some reason, they came out in that first half and they didn't play at the level that, that we've seen in a couple of games so far this year. And, and it was that more than the actual system that, that cost them, really. So, Sheen, the tactical revolution that was supposed to happen at halftime never actually, didn't actually happen. No, and another clear example of that was the fist pass that took three Galway players out of it and, and uh, Roscommon Gate kicked the point from inside the D. And, and the thing about, um, about that score is that was just obvious that nobody was tuning in. And the one that Mike's talking about where uh, Morta takes him on the inside... Like the first thing you expect for a team who playing defensively is that another man is there to turn him back and face him up, you know, for the ball to have to be recycled. Teams literally invite people down the line because they know there's someone sweeping yeah. in behind, and then you've got two guys and the sideline as a defender, and that's it. You turn and the referee the loves nothing more in that situation <laughs> to give yeah. uh, the old overcarrying. So um, 
I, I totally agree. Couldn't couldn't agree more. I couldn't num- I couldn't believe because yesterday there was no other football on, and we were sitting there wa- uh, watching the watching the game. And I said, and you know, the analysis halftime said that you know Galway had completely changed and they come out and they play football. They hadn't. They just gone. They've done exactly what they did all year, and you wouldn't expect them to change at this stage, and you won't expect them to change. Um, they've done exactly what they did all year, except for they done it right. You know, they they were tuned in, like twenty one minutes gone in the game, and and Galway, you know, didn't look as if they were in the game at all. And probably from that point, they started to rescue it. They were lucky they had half time. When they come out at half time, they look like a different team. The body language, uh, the, the energy levels, all that sort of thing. But they played exactly the way they had played more or less all year. Well, that sounds to me, Mike, like the sign of a quality team. Then that they they stick to what they're doing and they just execute it far better and at a far greater intensity in the second half. Yeah, and I, I think that's what it looked like. I mean, there was even even the one late on, and I can't. I, I think it was in the Smith put in a ball. I, I maybe it was maybe it was Darren Murtagh. I can't remember late on where he won a ball, and it was actually one on one, and and he went to go by the Galway defender, and he was kind of at the edge of the square, and before he knew it, there was another two Galway defenders that descended on him, and it was the one where Kyle actually got the uh, kind got the, the deflection of the ball and, and yeah. came out the field with it late on, and. And you were saying like this is this is now apparently in the second half when they've abandoned their defensive system and everybody's pushing up and nobody's helping. Now a ball goes in near the edge of the square and there's three Galway defenders to one Roscommon forward. They get a deflection. They come out with the ball. Like it, it's just and it's really hard to imagine that in a in a provincial final in a in a big game where these guys have beaten you last year that you come out you know at the start of the game. And it was just a case of look, we'll get bodies back, but we're not really going to have a have a specific role, um, and and it's kind of fake stuff, and we're not really defending properly. And in the second half, and somebody I, I don't know who it was, somebody made a comment after that we got a bit of a rollicking at halftime, and they looked like a team who just had had, had woken up and was said, okay, lads, like the, we need we need to pick this up here, and we need to start concentrating on what we're doing, and and you could see that just once they did that, it you know they turned the screw and they looked the more comfortable team in the second half. That, yeah, and that's a really interesting point that Mike made there, Rushing, because I have a feeling that Galway aren't preparing brilliantly for big games. Like that, there, there is if they're not playing Mayo, who they hate because of the couple of hammerings that this team have gotten from Mayo. That there's something in the preparation there's that makes them nervy, that makes them, you know, kind of play within themselves, look more nervous than, and obviously they're going to, there are going to be nerves. But they play very nervously, like against Kerry last year, against Tipperary the year before, against Roscommon in the Connacht final in Pierce Stadium last year, in the drone game in Pierce Stadium in 2016. There's something there that, you know, and I think that Kevin Walsh has done so much right with this goal team that this would be the thing that I would be nitpicking about, that maybe there's just something there that he, he gets too wound up about what the opposition are doing and that it transmits itself to the players because they played like really lethargically in that first half like it kind of the weight of the world was on them and that's that's kind of a bit of a worry you know that that when it when it comes to the super eights these are all going to be big games Gola have to be able to produce a performance of that uh, from the stuff that they can control they have to be able to produce a performance not wait for the opposition to go six points up and then Gola have to react without an outside influence either you know and as you talk about the Mayo game like there's no doubt they're going to be up for the Mayo game and, but the thing about uh, about Galway is that silverware may change that a little, and there was pressure on them going into that game yesterday because you know course, everybody yeah. ex- everybody expected them to win. Uh, to be honest, you know the Shane Walsh thing was something which was bugging me for quite a while because he hadn't really really stepped up until yesterday. Um, so he's a he's a different 
I think he's a different prospect for people now. He's a different prospect because I think he'll take a lot of confidence from what he did yesterday. And I think that them as a whole will realise if we're slightly off. I played I played on a team who we couldn't be slightly off. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? We had to be on all the time. And if we were slightly off, then we might as well have been a million miles off. But when we were on, we were on. And I think that's the thing with Galway. And that's the thing about playing that system is that uh, I liken it to what we seen at the US Open at the weekend. It was like, you know, there was no such thing as, you know, I'll play a, ha- a half-decent shot in here now. Everything had to be nailed on. You had to be thinking. You have to, what side of the hole am I going to land? It's it's the same thing with playing that defensive system. But all it takes is one person not to tackle, one person to get back and say, look it, I- I'm back. I might be doing anything, but I'm back here. But to get back and actually contribute to what, uh, you know, is going on, what the plan is, and to try and execute that plan. As I say, if you're slightly off in that situation or in that plan, then, you know, a lot of things malfunction. We didn't ask you about Shane Walsh earlier, his performance, Mike. Um, as Oshin says, right-footed or left-footed, uh, he needs consistency. There's no point taking wrong decisions with either foot, which he has been prone to do in the past. Do you think that's the kind of performance now that he can kick on from? Yeah, well, he, he's after setting a pretty high bar for himself now. Whatever he was, he was like I just thought even his movement, the way he carried ball, it looked like it's real. You see a guy soloing the ball, and it actually looks really skillful and looks really elegant. And uh, and I just thought even everything he did yesterday just had a had a real touch of class that he looked like he was that little bit better than everybody else. But like that's the that's the big thing. No, I mean it's it's fine producing one of those against you know against Roscommon in a provincial final. It was a big game and he needed it. Um, but you know if it's Kerry or if it's Cork in a, you know in the next round in in the quarterfinal or Super Eights, like can he bring that to to Croke Park? Because if he does. And and if Comer can give you more than he did outside of the last five minutes, and you know Ian Burke and these guys, like they 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 are a genuine threat to to an awful lot of teams. But that consistency is something obviously that they're going to have to find, and he's going to have to find it. But maybe a little less emphasis on the fact that he has to look that stylish. <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't have to look that good, but but less maybe of an emphasis on that. Are the Rossies going to come roaring through the qualifiers? Well, all they have to do really is to win one game now and to get through. One thing that let them down big time yesterday was, like I thought, to be fair to Kevin McStay, the majority of what uh, he did yesterday, he got right. Um, He said after that the shooting let them down. I think more their decision making and the options that they took to shoot from where they were shooting from at the time instead of trying to walk that ball in. And like there was a time in that game where you said one score. You know, do you really need one score and then to try and put uh, put pressure on? But the one thing he did, he didn't do. And 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 again, it's a bugbear of mine. Uh, and like coaches differ, but I, I still think that it's insane, absolutely insane, to give the opposition the kick out. Mm. I, do, I, w- I won't. I will never understand that. And the most offensive team I've seen play all year have been Fermanagh. But to be fair to them, they put serious pressure on the kickouts and. And that's something that they didn't do yesterday. So we're giving Galway that many opportunities. And when you have them few players who have that little bit of extra quality, you're going to get them. Uh, you're going to eventually they're going to figure you out and they're going to get them scores. Yeah, and Roscommon's own difficulties on the kickout were a massive thing as well. Massive, like yeah. you know, like they they only won thirty percent of their own kickout in the second half. But the one time they tried, or maybe they took two short kickouts in the first, in the second half, and one of them was picked off for a point. So you know you can kind of say loads of things about kickout, but if your keeper isn't comfortable taking short kickouts, 
then you know what can you do as a manager? So Let it out. Yeah. <laughs> Let it out indeed. Yeah. Give it give it long to the big lad in the middle there. <laughs> lads, I'd love to say in chat, but the second half of Sweden, South Korea is about to kick off. <laughs> Thanks very much, Mike. <laughs> okay, guys. Thanks, Machine. Cheers. There's a voice. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Soccer is popular. Uh, I got locked in a toilet. Well, there's now a door handle up my side of the door. So I started beating on the door, but nobody came. The next people that I saw were engaged in a pretty hectic street brawl. One of them kicked him very hard in the belly. Yeah, he'd barely set foot in Russia and he was already finding himself locked inside toilets and observing Russian men kicking other Russian men <laughs> very hard in the belly. Yeah, that happens. It's a quote, Ken. It happens. Just to Ken now, not to anyone else that I've ever met. Just I'm Ken. not sure which part of Ken's reports I'm enjoying more, the searing football analysis or just the accounts of his day-to-day mm. existence over there. His day off on Saturday, for example, Murph, presidential time, as you yep. called it, he ended up watching a bunch of Americans drinking vodka with the locals and challenging them to one-armed press-ups. See, you know, there there are people in this world who can just go through life and never have the experiences that Ken has in one day at a major <laughs> football tournament. I don't know what it is. He's just a magnet to all forms of weird and crazy behaviour. Interesting stat for you here, Go on. According to At Iceland Football. Okay. 99.6% of all people watching TV on Saturday in Iceland were watching the football match between Argentina and Iceland, which begs the question... Of course. Do I even need to finish no, that? No, you don't. No. no, no. Everyone has the question in mind. And we're all asking it silently to ourselves. Good news, everybody. The final test between Ireland and Australia does not clash with any World Cup games next Saturday. I'm just looking at the fixtures. So it kicks off at 11.05 Irish time. Finishes up just around kickoff time in the Belgium-Tunisia match. And the even better news is that it's set up really nicely after Ireland's win on Saturday. Shane, we're going to start with the rugby analysis and then we'll move on to your thoughts on Belgium-Tunisia. Is that okay, yeah? (laughs) Yeah, no problem. I'll get that out of the way and then get on to the main stuff. Yeah, exactly. Listen, it's probably worth saying that this, and in fairness, joking aside, maybe a lot of people who might ordinarily watch Ireland playing test match rugby aren't uh, aren't necessarily as tuned in as they would be to this series but it's been brilliant the first game was a disappointment for Ireland but they came back strong at the weekend and these three test series particularly in the weather is good between two sides who who aren't in the same hemisphere you know this this still always a bit of a novelty it really is entertaining stuff yeah and I love the um, World Cup as much as the next man and I'm completely enthralled in it and I'm not sure if I've missed a game yet but um, you want to get on and watch this test series in Australia because it's been brilliant. And in particular, um, um, on Saturday morning, it just, um, it really, it was really exactly the type of rugby that I liked to watch played. I know everyone hasn't been as, you know, as enthused by it as I have, but um, I was just excited by the way Ireland uh, moved the ball, the way they tried something on almost every single play. And some of the, you know, the, the, the flaws that we saw uh, the week before um, were righted tactically they changed their their game Sexton started um, and you know everything was looking beautiful and, and it ended up uh, like a fantastic game and uh, and Ireland moving 100% in the right direction I think uh, and, and I'm sort of more excited about how they're challenging themselves and their ability to play a certain way against Southern Hemisphere teams and what that means uh, in the build up to the World Cup just before we get into the nitty gritty, you talked about Ireland changing their tactics, but also Sexton starting at ten. Which of those? How interlinked are they? And which was the bigger factor? 
Um, I think Sexton still is the most important factor in this Irish team by quite a bit, not just because of the way he plays himself, not because just of his play selection, but how other players um, play when he's around. Their expectation uh, of themselves appears to go up. Um, They seem much more ambitious in everything they do. I think he um, verbalises... you know the game plan on field better than than maybe anybody else so um especially in that opening you know opening couple of minutes after australia scored the first try um it just seemed like complete control um of what was going on and and what his players were doing so i think sexton is is the is the major factor um but i do think there was a number of of um, tactical changes that um, were implemented and were implemented most mostly by him um, that, that really changed the dynamic for the Australians and what they were up against and made it very, very difficult for them to, to dominate um, possession and dominate gameplay in the way they did the week before. This series has been unbelievably entertaining and it takes quite a rugby game for you to be impressed having watched Ronaldo the night before. And I was kind of going into the game thinking... I've just been loving the World Cup so much. Uh, am I going to find, you know, a test match, uh, ultimately a friendly in the Southern Hemisphere at the end of a season that exciting? But I've loved it just like you have. And I was kind of surprised as well by the press reaction and how relatively underwhelmed people were by winning uh, a game away to Australia, a talent Australia team coached by Michael Checa. But just on how instructive this series has been as well. I think I, I've nearly learned more about some Irish players and the Irish tactics than I have in plenty of Six Nations games. Like you might learn a whole lot from playing Italy or Scotland sometimes and an awful lot of the time in November as well you don't learn a whole lot because those teams at the end of their season come over a little just underprepared like South Africa last November whereas this is playing a really smart team two weeks and three weeks in a row and adjusting accordingly and learning, for example, I mean, an obvious one is Sexton, but also the impact that Ring Rose can have if Tiger Furlong is playing to his full potential, how unmarkable he is and how, how much he changes things. And then also things like we kicked way less because of what happened in the first test and that Ireland can adapt to that. And actually, we don't need the box kick maybe quite as much as we think we do, certainly if you're playing somebody like Falao and Hale Petty. Yeah, I was reading it exactly the same way. And I actually had the same feeling as you the night before. I watched that uh, uh, Spain-Portugal game. I just thought, you know, what drama, what kind of an incredible individual uh, Ronaldo is being able to, de- to deliver, you know, when, it, when it's most important. And uh, I thought you know, nothing was going to, you know, you know, top that or not even top it. But rugby can sometimes um, seem, um, and these end-of-season tours can seem, um, almost a bit perfunctory, and, and that wasn't the case with this game at all. Um, and for lots of the reasons, I agree that you just said out there. Um, the number one uh, reason is, is again, and uh, and it has been a criticism that I've had of Ireland, even when they perform well in the Six Nations. I think sometimes when they only just perform in the way or uh, put forward the game plan that they need to beat the opposition that they're playing. And I sometimes think that they can do that against Italy or, or France, or sorry, or, or um, Wales or, or Scotland. And I think, you know, they can revert to a much more basic game plan. And we saw in the first game of the Six Nations against France, it very, very nearly cost them. Uh, I know it was their first game together, but it was, you know, so many one-out carries off, off nine. Um, and you know, yes, there is options, but there's not really because it's so readable in the way they're played. And I thought they had a bit of that last week as well. 
but um, to change that mindset and, and flip it on and be so incredibly ambitious and, and have a have a uh, rolling play with a number of options every single time and and um, you know realizing that they had to play in a different way against Australia. Um, which will allow them to play in a different way in the future, I thought was you know really encouraging. And you know on the on the sort of technical changes um, that you mentioned uh, with the kicking game, I you know I saw uh, Sexton. Uh, I think it was ten minutes in, he bounced the ball into touch from that you know that uh, middle third zone. That I think it's you know maybe the only um, thing that that has been lacking in his game. He's sometimes got his teams to overplay a little bit in that middle third. But it was the perfect option, and I loved it. And it's almost gone out of the game. And O'Gara used it uh, as such a brilliant tactic uh, for years and years and years. A spiral touch, um, you know, finding the angle where the winger can't get to it, or sometimes in between the winger and the fullback, and just you know playing the tactic, uh, the the, the um, territory game that uh, what we spoke about last week, and just saying right, you know. Um, you now try and get out of your 22. And if you want to try and box it, we've got some special guys in the back three that can catch box kicks and see how good that is. And then conversely, when we were in our own 22 ourselves, we thought, listen, there's no point in kicking really to this back three of Australia because they're you know, really um, uh, quality under a high ball. And you know they're well able to reset and then uh, move the sling the ball wide. And, and it's a big problem for us. So we look for other ways out. And we've seen that the team was a lot more willing to you know, move the ball wide and see if there's an option uh, when we move the ball out to the wide channel, you know, where, where ordinarily we'd be box kicking or you know, playing a couple of extra phases and bringing the wings up and then kicking in behind. So it was, you know, it was a different type of, of kicking game, a different type of uh, tactics that were in place. And I think these are the ones that suit Ireland the most. And I think they're the ones that we're going to, um, you know, we're going to get most dividends for with against the best teams into the future. I think we can beat Scotland, and I think even Wales maybe at this point, although they're having a good Southern Hemisphere tour. But certainly Italy and um, and maybe even France will playing a limited game plan. But I think if we go to them, if we maximise the potential of our players, uh, which we started the movement towards. Even against even against England, but especially against Australia, we've got the we've got the potential to you know be very very dominant in a lot of games and also get up to the high, highest level of being able to beat you know Southern Hemisphere teams in the Southern Hemisphere. Yeah, we're really close to being, you know, like genuinely taking on New Zealand every time and thinking it's fifty fifty. I think against every other team in the world now, we think we can beat them if we play to our potential. But the one little gripe I'd have, and the one theme between the first and second test that annoyed me a bit was Ireland still our option taking close to the opposition line we were only up by two points at half time having really dominated since two minutes in and we dominated again the second half and struggled to score tries and just blew a few chances and our option taken within sort of five or ten metres of the opposition line still isn't quite at the level certainly of New Zealand's and arguably even Australia masks so many of their flaws by being quite good at finishing chances relative to other teams in the world and I don't know if you if you saw that as well. First of all, yeah. and and if you think uh, yeah. if you I, think I, it's, I can see why, I can sort of see why Ireland revert to that, you know, the run out runners. Although there was a little bit more subterfuge in the twenty two than there had been in you know in other games that I've seen Ireland play. But um, I can see why Joe sometimes gets frustrated because our, our decision making option isn't isn't great there. So on occasions when we should be moving the ball to the ten. 
we go maybe for an extra, um, you know, carry, a one-out carry. And then when, you know, I remember particularly in the, I think it was the second half, uh, when we went to the... Um, um, we went to ten, and we did a, like we did a switch, and it wasn't a particularly good switch. And we went switch straight back in to that sort of Pocock region, uh, and uh, we got turned over. So all of a sudden, that changed the mindset, and, and it's kind of almost um, you know puts a sort of a, a noodle in the, in the in the player's head, going, "Listen, we should have just kept the ball going for one out runners, and we should have mm-hmm. kept on going and tried to power over." Now I don't think that works, and uh, you know I think it can work against some teams, but I think it's less likely to work, certainly against South Africa, maybe against Australia, and definitely against New Zealand. So. You know, when we do um, come up with something a little bit more complex, and I understand that it, it becomes more difficult because you've got players flying out of the line. You don't have any, you have everyone in the front field. But I do think there can be, a, we can be a little bit more inventive there. And we've seen when we have been a little bit more inventive in some games, we've been rewarded. So um, I just hope that we they don't go into a, into a video session next week going, Oh, listen, the one or two times that we tried something different in the 22, uh, we were turned over. So we're going to just go one out because I just don't think that's a smart move. But one of the things that did you know, highlight to me and, and, and it, it, it's it's uh, it's you know, I hope they, they learn from this was the um, the uh, the try early in the first half from the line out, which is really smart play. They, they you know, mold the ball inside. And for as long as I've been playing rugby, as a back, you said, give us the ball when the mall is going forward and not when it drops down. And yeah. you would have heard this, Simon, so many times. And everyone's heard it's the biggest bugbear of backs. They, you know, There's a mall and the forwards keep on going and keep on going. And it seems to be going great. And then the mall collapses. And then there's a massive wall in front of you. This was a perfect um, decision this time that the mall was going forward. And uh, Conor Murray took the ball while uh, while the opposition went the back foot and then threw that beautiful ball. Uh, that was, I think, uh, it was kind of a it was a it was a play that was decided, but it was executed so well when the ball was moving forward. Um, it's just a brilliant, it brilliantly highlights if you do, you know, the, what you're meant to do. The rewards will be there, and I thought I was really, um, uh, you know, happy to see that um, so, sort of play used and. And hopefully it now, you know, as I said, in the opposite to what was going on in the 22 later on the second half, that shows actually if you go, if you do trust, um, you know, that extra bit of uh, extra bit of, um, you know, um, momentum or do trust the, you know, the, the work you've done um, on the on the um, whiteboard beforehand, you'll get the results. Ty Furlong was instrumental in quite a lot of open play, Shane, which is always a welcome sight. Rob Carney was talking afterwards. He said he's changing the role of tight head props across the world. There was one clean out of Pocock in the second half that was the greatest clean out I've ever seen. And I've seen a few clean outs in my time. Uh, I was interested about and Murray Kinsley, if people want to have a look at it on his timeline, has tweeted a link to that clean out, which is pretty brutal and pretty effective. But just to hear someone like Rob Carney, who's been around the block for so long and isn't one given to grand pronouncements about teammates that I particularly remember speaking about this guy in sort of odd tones I thought was quite striking yeah I remember that uh, clean out both at the time because I remember seeing Pocock hovering and I thought we're in trouble here and then I I didn't know who did it at the time but I just saw him get absolutely blasted off the ball and 
I can't tell you how difficult a thing that is to do, even at the momentum that um, Tiger was coming at. And then I, I, I saw um, Murray um, tweet that later on, and so I went through it a number of times. And it was I'm te- te- uh, technically absolutely perfect, but also like extremely powerful. And um, you know that doesn't always happen. You know, even when you have a run-up like that, and I, I you know. I remember we played a South Africa um, in Lansdowne Road years ago, and I think it was one of the Schlockberger's um, first games. And, you know, we had identified him beforehand in a similar way to Ireland would have identified Pocock. And uh, as someone who gets over the ball, it's almost impossible to move when he gets into that position. And he was in a very similar position uh, to Pocock was at the weekend. And I had a 10-meter run-up to him. <laughs> and it was just out, just at the, uh, their South African 22. And I had a 10-meter run-up. And I, I said, I've got this guy. And like, I tensed my body up as hard as I could, flew into the rook, and bounced straight back <laughs> off, off him out the other end of the rook. And so it's not easy to move these guys. And a type furlong got probably the best um, you know, groundhog uh, or the most difficult man to move off a ball in that situation off in a split second. And... Uh, you know that's you know that's probably one of the elements of his game that is least impressive or certainly at least noteworthy because he's got this other range of skills and you know I've been talking about him for a long time, um, you know and uh, he's you know he is I think Rob Carney is, is has hit the nail on the head he's changing what the expectation is his you know his work in the defensive line is so good. Ability to pass the ball, hold defender on the inside. He's, you know, his um, set piece game is is almost perfect. His carrying game is exceptionally strong. Um, but what's most interesting for me to, if you do a little bit of a player cam on him, and you you watch him not when he doesn't have the ball, but he uh, because of the uh, nature of position, he's very often around a rook, either side of a rook. You want to see the communication, not just in defence where you know, props can sometimes communicate with the players around them because they're scared uh, of being exploited. But actually, you'll see him direct in traffic when, we have a tur- when, when Ireland have a turnover ball or when um, there's an opportunity to move the ball wide. He's very aware of what's going on, what's on the outside and how to get the ball out there. And what's more, he's very comfortable in the role as a first receiver and putting the ball out there if necessary. It struck me as well, Shane, watching that that might be the sort of moment that would linger in the mind of a flanker, even one as tough as Pocock for the third test, you know, you'd be thinking, that's got to hurt and it's also got to make you question a little bit what's... Because ultimately those, those poachers can't see what's coming at them. Um, they just have to brace themselves and hope they stay in position. But when something as powerful and explosive as that blows you off the ball, it's probably... It's got to dent your confidence and maybe just somewhere in your subconscious linger away. Well, maybe dent his head as well because he yeah. flew into it. Like, there was a physical... Um, price to be paid um, for for putting yourself in that position, mm. and um, you know I sometimes wonder how sixes and sevens can do it, and how long they can, uh, how long their careers can be, and and how long uh, their their bodies can take the physical toll. Mm. And if you want an example, no, Pocock was there for eighteen uh, months. Pocock yeah, well there you go. Yeah. You know, and it's probably a smart move. You look at someone, someone like Dan Levy, and you, you know, a very very young guy. You know, you know. Look at look at his head. Look how many knocks he's taken. Every time he comes off the field, he seems to be cut up. So, um, you know, they are a, certain, a different sort of breed. So, I don't think it's going to stop Pocock from putting his uh, head and and you know body in that position again. But um, it does give a perfect example to the Irish players of how to how to uh, flawlessly execute a, a clean out. And uh, you know, I think. 
you know, the individuals cleaning out were one thing, but there was definitely, you know, the back row for Australia didn't have the same influence on the game. And I think that was a, there was a tactical element of that as well. And um, the options from nine, but the options from 10 uh, were m- much more alive. Um, they were very difficult to, to pick out who the, um, the, the, re- the receiver was going to be from nine or who the option was going to be uh, from, from 10. And generally, there was a lot more came off 10 than, um, than is usual. And if the, even if, the play, if it did go to a forward um, from nine, then the nine was a live option for a pass as well. So that meant um, the, the line speed was a little bit slower. And Checker talked about it afterwards, saying, oh, we need to up our line speed. But it's very difficult you know, to, to take that, uh, have the confidence to take that little bit of extra pace and, and um, you know, I suppose get in the face of the first receiver when you don't know who the first receiver is. And then that also meant that um, the back row from Australia uh, couldn't identify where the opportunity was, was going to be for them to strike and go on, on, the, uh, on the ground and try and uh, steal the ball. So, you know, you know, a couple of very smart tactical moves from Ireland. Yes, the kicking game, but that um, you know, ability to put the Australian back row off their game by not making it so easily identifiable who the um, carrier was going to be had a big impact on the game. Just a last word, Shane, about England and our old friend Eddie Jones in particular. They were beaten again in South Africa. That's five defeats in a row, six if you count the Barbarians having only lost that one game to the scummy Irish up until that point. Um, Legitimately, we're looking at this guy being ousted from his job before the World Cup? Um, Yeah, it's now on the table. I know and I, I was... You know, I wouldn't have said that um, really. Maybe up until this test, um, the knives are out in in um, the UK forum. Um, if you you know the the press here, there's a pretty scathing article in in the Guardian. Um, I think it was this morning it came out. Um, in that level of of you know the defeat is is very very unusual for England. It's unusual for most teams, and you know I always remember. You know, Eddie O'Sullivan um, talking about um, you know the importance of the Six Nations and and um, when we player when um, he was asked why he wasn't blooding new players, he said, "Well, you know, you lose two games in a Six Nations and um, you know you're under pressure and you lose three and you could lose your job." You know, look at where Eddie Jones is now. He loses this series to South Africa, um, a three blip, um, even though you know. England don't have a great tradition of winning in South Africa. You add that on to what happened with the Six Nations and also that uh, Barbarians defeat. I know you do count it because shipping 60 against anyone is kind of ridiculous for um, for an international team and even more so if you've got the resources England have. So I don't think you'll be sacked after the third test if they lose it. But um, if uh, if they continue on in this vein and uh, in the autumn, um, you know, there may be a um there may be an option um for or there may be a school of thought that says listen let's just cut this guy now give somebody else a uh, a run at the six nations and a run into to the world cup um and i think you know at some point you go you know that's that's not an illegitimate point of view to hold yeah i'm just looking at that headline the, in the guardian indecision spats and flogged players england crumble under eddie jones so not a, not a great headline but we'll let you back to the world cup there shane you don't want to miss a game <laughs> thanks, thanks a million i have to do a bit of work but i'll yeah. try and squeeze in some, some world cup as well fair to say anybody could have managed those guys no of course not Uh, 12, <laughs> everyone in the city knew about it, but no one had seen him.
fuck how happy I was. What the fuck happened? No, really. What happened? What happened? It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's to persuade us of the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. I'm reading more of this Robert Kitson article as we speak here, Murph. Oh, the, yeah. The Guardian one. It's amazing. The idea was to hire the world's most experienced coach, share him and cash, and then sit back and watch him reel in the, ni- the 28-19 World Cup. The only thing Jones will be catching between now and Christmas at this rate is a flight back to Australia. Mm. And he goes on later in the article, we're still, England are acquiring a reputation that will concern the RFU even more than results. In addition to a few terse media interviews and unseemly on-field spats, both the coach and the squad members have been drawn into verbal altercations with supporters immediately after games. You might have read a bit about this. Travelling English fans staying at the team hotel in Bloemfontein reported even polite requests for pictures were frowned on. They were similarly unimpressed when a senior player jumped a lengthy reception queue saying he had an emergency which turned out to be requesting an extension lead for his PlayStation. <laughs> <laughs> in other words, bring back Stuart Lancaster, all is forgiven. This is the English oh, sport. God. It's the yeah. same in football. They react to one type of manager with a different type of manager. Yeah. They then bring back the, oh, let's go back to the person who builds a culture rather than this yeah. guy who's all about winning. Oh, oh. God. That, I mean, <clears throat> I suppose if you're working in an English newspaper or sports department, there will be cultural leakage from one sport to another. So that when it comes time for you to write the the manager must go piece, you have there is like an element of institutionalized in, learning. Insert, there. insert name of sport here, yeah, and of manager. God, that's not great though. <laughs> an extension lead for your PlayStation. Yeah, you know, it's exactly the kind of article that gets written not long before a manager loses his job. Yeah, yeah. So we'll no, see. No, I, I, I'm, I'm still not entirely sure Eddie Jones is going to lose his job, but wow, well. no, he's not far off. I wouldn't say. Okay, last call today for the Daily World Cup podcast. Put it this way: myself and Murph are going to sit down and watch football nonstop until our eyes bleed mm-hmm. all week. If you want to join us. And the rest of our lovely World Service members, you can sign up on secondcaptains.com and we'll see you tomorrow. If you want us just to suffer in silence, well then I guess we'll chat to you again next Monday. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Owen. Thanks for listening. Which one is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 